Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. We have made it to Friday, Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. And first up today on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Our buddy Bruce Marshall from the Gold Sheet. Yes, he's a handicapper. Yes, we talk to him every week. But Bruce is also a college football historian. And if you go to the website goldsheet.com, you can read their cover story every week. And this week, the title of the cover story is LSU Bama and One Versus Two History. Is this a good read? Is this what we need to dive into, Bruce, as a primer for uh, the big game tomorrow? Yeah, I think so, Rich. And thanks for the uh, promo there. It's, I think it's a nice little read. And we talk about past number ones versus number twos now. This bowl poll that came out after I wrote the story kind of messed things up a bit for the bowls, the bowl poll at least, for one and two because they got Ohio State one. But for the traditional wire service polls this week, it still is a one versus two because LSU is one of them in the AP and uh, Bama's one in the coaches' polls. So the one versus two thing still applies. But I also write about the first Bear Bryant game against LSU, which is actually Bryant's debut game in 1958. That's before Alabama and LSU started playing every year. Uh, that didn't come until 64, but uh, that was also Paul Dietzel's national championship year. Opened the season at Mobile. A uh, sideline story of that game, uh, uh, the uh, temporary grandstand bleachers, the north end of Ladd Stadium uh, collapsed at the end of the first quarter. No oh, fatalities, fortunately, but there were over 60 people hurt. They had to stop the game and ambulances and all that. So that was kind of a sidelight uh, to that game. But um, LSU ended up winning 13-3 starting its uh, national title year, and it was a tough game because uh, Bama was up 3 nothing at halftime. And I heard Jimmy Ott told me down in Baton Rouge because his dad, Al, played on the LSU team. He said they talked to the Bama guys after the game and said, you guys did pretty good. You know, you were better than we thought. And the Bama players said, well, not as good as Coach wanted. We're practicing at 7 a.m. tomorrow. So uh, that was Bear Bryant's <laughs> early days at Alabama and got a taste of what was to come. Things are a little bit different now. So Alabama, a six-point favorite. It's been at six and a half for most of the week. Has trended down just a little bit. Both teams eight and zero. Number one versus number two. Number two versus number three. Depending on how you want to look at it, going to be beautiful for a two thirty kickoff. When you look at this one, what what stands out to you? How do, how do you feel? Well, the very first thought is uh, CBS blew it. They have one of these games per year, and, and their package they can put at prime time. And they opted for Georgia and Notre Dame back in September. Big mistake. They should have seen this one coming. This should have been the primetime game. Anyway. Uh, hey, as somebody one, who has to work at 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon, I happen to agree with you. Yeah, there you go. I'm sure you – yeah, I knew you would. And a lot of people were wondering – I was wondering about that back in September when they put that Notre Dame-Georgia game on. But anyway, um, you know, eight straight for Bama. We know all about that. But uh, there, there's more to it than that. I mean, I, I don't know that Coach O, and I know LSU's got this offense going and all – um, is he really going to beat uh, Nick Saban? I don't know. Um, we saw Auburn kind of slow down LSU. Mississippi State did for a while. 
this is not the greatest Alabama defense, but I think this is the best Alabama offense I've ever seen. So Joe Burrow and company are going to have to keep scoring because I don't think Bama's going to slow down. I am almost 98% sure two is going to play. Uh, even with Mac Jones in there, I think Alabama would have a good chance. But uh, I'm just not sure that uh, LSU can keep pace here. And I think it will go over the total. The total's creeping up. Um, we had a 41-30 Alabama in the gold sheet. Now, uh, loser of this game is hardly out of the Final Four conversation. In fact, I think we'll probably still make the Final Four as long as we don't lose another game. Uh, and actually, the winner could be in a little bit of jeopardy if it loses the SEC title game, say, to Georgia. And then all of a sudden, Georgia's going to want a spot in the Final Four. So that's one of the fun juxtapositions <laughs> excuse me, about this game. But... Um, and Alabama, strangely, might be at more risk if it loses than LSU just because of the way the schedule is. Nonetheless, we're going to take Alabama, win another one at Tuscaloosa, and maybe Coach O gets another shot in the Final Four, but the, tomorrow we're going with the Tide. So 41-30, which is way over, and Alabama covering with relative ease. What about in Oxford, where Ole Miss is laying 29 against New Mexico State, a winless New Mexico State team that has been brutal throughout the year, but Ole Miss, not exactly a team known for lighting up scoreboards so far this season? Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, New Mexico State is so overscheduled here, and they're just out here for these paydays now. Uh, a couple of years ago, New Mexico State actually won a bowl game. They weren't too bad. And, uh, you know, Corey, Doug Martin, you got to give him uh, – uh, a pat on the back for actually sticking in there and coaching these guys. Uh, but they don't have the money to buy them out. And, you know, I did get to a bowl a couple of years ago. Uh, but they are way down from their team uh, that won the bowl game. And we think Mississippi gets them tomorrow. 42-6, to six, our score forecast. Not enough defense for New Mexico State. Although, I mean, over four touchdowns, that's a little dicey. And uh, yeah. I think there's probably better spots on the card. But uh, we don't want New Mexico State, so that's why we're taking the reps. Bruce, what about Georgia and Missouri? This is a night game, ESPN, 6 o'clock tomorrow night. Georgia's a big favorite. They were impressive last week against Florida. They were a little more complete offensively. We know that defense is good. And it feels like you just don't know what Missouri team you're going to get. Well, yeah, you're right, Rich. And, I mean, I mean, actually, you know, in the last few games, Missouri is uh... – has a, a faded here and a little bit surprising. They really got whipped at Kentucky. That's an alarm. Uh, Kelly Bryant is hurting. I am not even sure if he's going to play tomorrow. Um, and if he doesn't, that means uh, they got to go uh, with their uh, backup, Powell, and try to make the big points work. Maybe Missouri can do it. You're catching Georgia off a, a real emotional win last week. Um, this thing has not – Georgia has rarely put four good quarters together. Uh, I guess they did last week. Maybe Arkansas State back in the September they did. But uh, generally this season, I mean, uh, you know, Georgia's had some flat spots in its games. And I'm thinking these big points can probably work with Missouri. Although, you know, I feel a little better if Kelly Bryant is in there uh, for the Tigers. That makes this a very iffy pick. 28-17 Georgia. That's with Bryant in there, keeping this thing closer. Um, but uh, a little dicey without knowing the status of Missouri's quarterback tomorrow. Yeah, I don't feel like you love this game. I don't feel like you love the Ole Miss game. So uh, let me get out of the way in terms of asking about games, and you give me a couple nationally that you do love. Yeah, well, I'll give you a few here. One is uh, Illinois is up at Michigan State. Now, Illinois, Lovey Smith, we call him Lovey Claus now with that beard. I mean, they can huh. get uh, bowl eligible here. I do not know why Michigan State is laying 14.5 points here. I really don't. Um, you know, it is pretty obvious that um, this is not a – the offense is stuck in the Stone Age here at Michigan State. 
And if Mark D'Antonio doesn't change things, he might as well retire. He has fallen so far behind the creative offenses in college football uh, and running this jalopy offense there. Michigan State just ain't doing it. They're not scoring points. They're not winning games. What are they doing laying over two touchdowns against an Illinois team that was good enough to beat Wisconsin? I mean, we saw Michigan State happen to them against Wisconsin. Illinois is getting better. Michigan State's getting worse. You're getting 14 and a half points with Illinois here. Way too many points. I haven't made a big recommendation on uh, Illinois in a while, but let's let's do one there. Let's stick in the Big Ten. Minnesota, um, this big game against Penn State. All of a sudden, Minnesota's hanging around here, unbeaten into November. Yeah, the schedule's broken well, but this team is getting better every week. And PJ Fleck, a lot of cornball, I know, but he's got his guys playing like wild men. They really swarm on defense. It's a nationally ranked defense now. The quarterback Morgan is getting better every week. Penn State's had some really close calls. And again, let's circle back to Michigan State. A lot of this uh, Penn State hype based on that route of Michigan State, which isn't that good. They barely survived Pitt and Iowa. Uh, Michigan was coming back on them late. They got to go on the road here, and this team is fired up beyond belief. And PJ Flex got them believing. We're going to give Minnesota a shot here, Rich. 26 uh, 21. That's a key release on Minnesota. And one more down to the Big 12. Sort of the same thought as Michigan State, Illinois. Why is Texas laying seven, seven and a half now against Kansas State? Ranked team, mm-hmm. better record, getting points. Listen, um, Tom Herman, he better ask Shaka Smart from, for some help on for, with his defense. They are not getting it done. And it's the same thing almost every game for Texas. Their defense can't come up with stops when it has to in the fourth quarter. They're forcing Ellinger to, Ellinger to uh, score touchdowns on every drive. Kansas State has hit the sweet spot here the last few weeks. Run heavy offense, but uh, Thompson, the quarterback, pretty mistake-free. Chris Kleiman is turning into a great successor for Bill Snyder. I think this is an upset waiting to happen. Tom Herman's chalk record is not nearly as good as his dog record, too, by the way. 34-27 Kansas State. We're going to call the upset gold sheet key release in Austin. All right, so a couple out of the Big Ten and then uh, Kansas State down in the Big 12 in Austin. It's a uh, fun slate of games. Pretty good slate of games uh, tomorrow as we look across the country. I am curious. We've only got about 30 seconds left. This Tennessee-Kentucky game. Tennessee playing better, but they got to go to Lexington. Uh, Kentucky's been able to run the football pretty effectively with Lynn Bowden. Probably not going to try and throw it a lot. You got a lean here? Kentucky, and uh, no, they've only beaten uh, Tennessee twice since 1984. But I like Bowden a lot. I think Mark Stoops stumbled into a better option at quarterback for himself. I know Tennessee's playing better, but I like this Kentucky team, and I like what Bowden's doing. We took the Cats 24-17. All right. Bruce, great stuff this afternoon. Don't forget you can uh, go to goldsheet.com, sign up there. You can follow Bruce on Twitter at Bruce A. Marshall and uh, find him out there. A lot of good stuff. Thanks, Bruce. Have a good weekend. You too, Rich. Sports Talk Mississippi, just getting started. We'll bring the whole crew in next with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Friday afternoon with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott, Rippy. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Friday weekend is here. What's up, Michael Borky? Uh, gonna take the little guy out for the first time this weekend. So pretty big, uh, pretty big day upcoming for me. Where are you taking him? Oh, we're just gonna go uh, to just a restaurant closer to downtown and sit and watch the game of the century for as long as he will let us. 
I got you. All depends on his mood. I mean, he he's in this this fussy stage right now where it's he's either sleeping or eating or, or kind of fussing, and so we're a little bit worried about it. But we got to try and have a life somehow, right? So sounds like uh, right before you leave, or maybe even on the way, you feed him and then hope that he falls asleep and gives you what an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Yeah, and see now he loves maybe. the the little carrier, and the carrier right. doubles as a car seat, so yeah. he sleeps in the car. So the hope is, on the drive, he'll knock out, and since we don't have to move him out of the car seat, basically, that he will yep. sleep the entire time we're watching the game. So we'll see. Hey, Dad, this didn't exist for our first two, but with uh, with Francis, uh, our third, we got one of these convertible car seat stroller things. You want to talk about changing your life. I mean, you remember like popping the car seat in and out and having to carry it and then move kids to a stroller? You remember that? Hey, Dad. Maybe we don't have Hey, Dad. Or maybe he doesn't remember that. I don't know. Uh, anyway, it was a game changer. No question. So, uh, cool deal. That'll be fun. Getting out. A little sunshine tomorrow. Not going to be as cold as it is today. Hi, Rippy. What's up? How are you, man? Just living the dream. Little hoops tonight? Yeah, you got the tie on. I do I did not have to wear a tie to that thing. You don't. Fair enough. <laughs> Some people do it for fun. My good friend Nick Suss wears ties. Suss is a tie guy, He's isn't he? I call him tie guy. I don't think I've called him by his name in a long time. Oh, really? Yeah. Does he do a tie for all sporting events? He does a tie if when he wakes up in the morning. He just likes ties. Wears a tie to practice. Wears a tie to brush his teeth. He may shower in a tie. I don't you know. You think he sleeps in a tie? Him. Possibly. I think that's got to be a choking hazard, I would think. but eh, You would think. Probably not in the shower, though. I don't know. Wouldn't be very good for your ties. Yeah. I guess. Maybe he's got a tie tan. He's <laughs> a tie tan. Anyway. Anyway, uh, what's coming up this afternoon? Chase Young. Uh, earlier in the week, Borky was pimping him for the Heisman Trophy. Now he's not playing this week and maybe not next week. A little bit of an issue with the uh, National Collegiate Athletics Association. We've got picks coming up. We'll talk basketball. Ole Miss at home tonight. Mississippi State at home tonight as well. And um, we've got some football to talk about. The Rebels against New Mexico State tomorrow. Southern Miss is hosting UAB. Luke Johnson will join us on the Farm Bureau phone line coming up in just a little while. Uh, Florida State has an opening at football coach and a report from the NFL Network, maybe even during Thursday night football last night, uh, emerged uh, about a potential name. A guy that had multiple nicknames. He was Primetime. Or Neon Dion, if you prefer. Dion Sanders, former All-American at Florida State. Two-sport guy in the NFL, Pro Football Hall of Famer. Potentially a candidate for Florida State? Could that be real? Had to check to make sure he had a blue check mark next to his name when he reported that last night. Like, even though it's real, like it's coming from a real reporter, I still don't think it's real. Could it work? No, right? I mean, college football, being a head coach is so different because it's not just coaching football. If you know the game really, really well, that doesn't mean you're going to be a good college football coach. 
There's just so much more that goes into it. Well, it's a, what, it's a, it's a. Uh, to add on to what Borky's saying, it's, it, it, uh, it's a, uh, it's like one of those things where, uh, I get. What am I trying to say here? It's like a lifestyle thing too, to where it's not even just how much football you know. It's the time discipline and the ridiculous work schedule on a daily basis and the work hours and all of that. Like, I mean, to my not Dion's never been an assistant coach anywhere, right? No. Yeah, no, he's been a TV guy. I figured for most he of that. He was floated out to be on Taggart's staff, if you remember. I actually don't remember that, but, huh. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. I don't think this is realistic. What if Dion is being hired to be Bobby Bowden? Just a figurehead. But but Bobby Bowden ultimately was the boss, okay? I mean, he, he was ultimately the boss. He kind of halfway wore a headset on the sideline, kind of listened in. But his job was to motivate players and go talk to mamas in recruiting and just kind of be the figurehead of the program, especially in the later years. But he still had to hire assistant coaches. Now, he didn't have to do a ton of it because he had guys that stayed in place for a long time. So my question as to for, for this to be potentially real would be, does Dion have the ability to hire a good staff? And if he hires a good staff, I mean a really good staff, would he potentially just get out of the way and let them do their jobs and then be the face of the Florida State program? Because you got to believe Dion's a guy that would be magnetic in recruiting. I, I saw uh, Safid Dean, who has covered Florida State for a while, I think he's now with The Athletic, tweet last night, I'm not convinced that Dion would show up any day other than Saturday game days if he was the head coach. And then he basically just rolled his eyes and said, man, this is a TV guy. He's not changing his lifestyle, to your point just a second ago, Rippy, to the point of being a college football coach. That's a huge investment. On a scale from like Herm Edwards to Adam Schefter reporting Condoleezza Rice might be interested in the Browns head coaching gig, this probably falls closer towards the latter. Like in I terms of that, it actually that being happened. realistic, because when they were talking about Herm Edwards at first, I was like, "Yeah, there's no way this is real." Then it happened. The Condoleezza Rice thing, someone was punking Chapter. This one's probably closer to that than that somewhere in the middle, though. Like I don't, I don't buy this as realistic at all. Yeah. And if they did do it, like hypothetical, if they did, you're Florida State. You don't need to be hiring experimental figurehead football coaches. Your brand is strong enough. You don't need it to be any stronger. You need a guy that's going to win games for you that you know will win games for you. You know who I'm hiring? If, I, if I'm Florida State, because Florida State, even though it's not what it once, once was, that's a place that's got enough brand identity, it's got enough cachet, then it's still, what, a top 15 job? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 I would, no, yeah. yeah, yeah. If I have a top 15 job opening, so what are those this year? You know Southern Cal's open? Florida State's open? Could potentially, if Southern Cal were to hire James Franklin, Penn State's open? Matt Rule. Good call. I could not be more impressed with what he has done over the last seven years, turning Temple into a – he did he follow Al Golden at Temple? Is that, Al Golden kind of got it moving in the right direction at Temple. 
Then he got the Miami job, and that's when they hired Matt Rule. And he took it to another level. They had college game day in Philadelphia for a Temple game. What complicates that would be the run, presumably, he's going to get maybe from some NFL people? Maybe. I mean, that doesn't change the fact you're trying to go get him. Like, I wholeheartedly agree, but, like, in terms of actually landing him, what it like, actually complicates it? Because it would seem like a no-brainer to leave Baylor for Florida State on the surface. Yeah. I mean, I think he knows how to coach football. I think he knows how to build a program. I think he knows how to surround himself with good people. I've listened to interviews with him and come away really, really impressed. If I'm Florida State or Penn State or Southern Cal or – yeah, I don't – does he fit Southern Cal? I, I don't know. I mean, Clay Helton, I look at him and I go, that's not really a Southern Cal fit. He just looks like a ball coach. He doesn't look like, I mean, Cliff Kingsbury looks like he fits Southern Cal. Pete Carroll looked like he fit at Southern Cal. Maybe that's completely overrated. But Matt Rule's a guy I'd go out and try to hire. I mean, what he has done with at, at Baylor, considering where that program was when he got there to where it is right now, it's remarkable. Luke Johnson will join us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. We'll talk some Southern Miss UAB when we come back after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi Friday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. I told you Haydad was with us the er- uh, earlier, but uh, he's not. Took the day off today. Vacation Haydad. I guess he's probably still going to basketball tonight in Starkville, but uh, not with us all on the show. But Luke Johnson is with us on the show. He's on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. How cold was it in Hattiesburg this morning? Uh, it was, uh, wasn't that bad. It was, you know, mid-50s, something like that. Uh, when you woke up? Yeah. I mean, oh. it... uh. Wow. It wasn't that bad. Last night, calling a high school football game on Thursday, it got cold in the second quarter. And uh, but it's it's fifty one right now, but it's going to get cold tonight. Okay, you you guys, I guess, just a day behind us or far enough south. I, I think I woke up to twenty eight this morning, which was real cold, real cold. It's going to be great for football tomorrow. Tell me, Luke, convince me, make me feel good about the fact that there is going to be a fantastic crowd tomorrow at the Rock for a big football game with Southern Miss and UAB. Tell me that's the case. I know this. The people that will be there will be fantastic, and their their hearts will be beating. I think. I mean, I think all of college football tomorrow afternoon uh, is going to suffer because of what's happening at 2.30 also. But, I mean, it's a, it's a huge game. Um, and the the fans understand that. Was uh, talking. It's on the NFL Network too. I mean, that that's pretty neat. We were talking to Dave Ryan, uh, who's going to be calling it uh, on Wednesday on the Eagle Hour, and um, you know, it's a big deal. Conference USA is getting this exposure, but you know, there's going to be an NFL Network game broadcast from Hattiesburg tomorrow. The crowd's going to suffer. I mean, that's just part of it. Um, I, I wish it wouldn't be that way, but that's the way things are right now. But I don't think it'll just be a trend in Hattiesburg. I think it'll be all over the place. Yeah, I think it's going to be the issue in Oxford tomorrow, but I don't really think it has much to do with the Alabama-LSU game. I think it's just going to be a small crowd, period. Uh, what do we need to know about UAB? Well, uh, we talked Tuesday about their 6-2 and two, uh, record. It's a little deceiving. But, I mean, you look last week against Tennessee, 
Uh, they get beat by, you know, 23 points, but Tennessee only had 300 yards of, of uh, offense. So this is a, a top-10 UAB defense. Again, you could argue that those numbers are be because of who they played. Uh, but they only give up 92 yards on the ground, only allowing 162 yards in the air. Uh, so they are a, a dangerous team. They have a lot of sacks on, on defense. And when you're breaking it down position by position, the defensive line from UAB really jumps out at you. Uh, they're, they're fifth in the nation. Uh, 255 yards uh, a game being allowed, and, and the linebackers have created a lot of sacks, and they get a lot of penetration. So you, you look at that, Southern Miss is going to be a, a, a throw-first team tomorrow just because of uh, you know the lack of the running game. It's been a, an Achilles heel for two years, and UAB is not going to help that. Um, you do feel like Southern Miss can attack them in the air, and uh, maybe that will open up a few, few plays in the running game. You know, couple of weeks back uh, against Louisiana Tech, obviously a difficult loss for Southern Miss and turnover, such a big part of that game. That was kind of an anomaly, though, wasn't it? That that really has not been part of the makeup for the most part this year uh, of Southern Miss, certainly not in their wins. Not at all. Jack Abraham um, hasn't thrown, I think, more than two interceptions. He threw four that day. And Jack, for the last two games, only had one touchdown and five picks, so really uncharacteristic of him. Um, so yeah, it was just kind of odd, and especially Jack usually, you know, he can make those big throws. He threw a pick on the two yard line that would have given the Eagles the lead uh, late in the ball game. So, uh, looking for him tomorrow, um, the biggest thing you just gotta have time to he's gotta have time to throw. Uh, going back to that to that UAB uh, defense, they're six in the nation. They're only allowing uh, third, first downs on third down, third down conversion rates only like twenty eight percent. They're outstanding on third down. So if the Eagles can't convert on first down and get some second and shorts, it's going to be tough for them to convert. Luke, we do this every week with with Ole Miss and Mississippi State, so I want to try and do this with with you right now. Borky came up with this a couple of years ago. We asked two questions. What is the one thing that Southern Miss absolutely must do to win tomorrow? They've got to defend the deep ball, and I don't don't necessarily – Trust the man-on-man coverage, uh, but Tyler Johnston um, and it's going to be a game-time decision on him. Uh, but he can throw the deep ball really well. And if Southern Miss leaves the corners on the islands out there, that they're probably going to to get burned a few times. UAB loves the deep ball. Johnston's in the top five uh, in the country in yard in, in passing yards over over uh, twenty yards. Um, so they've got to defend uh, in, in the secondary and, and take away the deep ball. And then the other question is, what is the one thing that Southern Miss absolutely cannot do if they want to win the football game? They cannot turn the ball over on uh, the plus side of the field. They, if they get into Stein range, they got to get points. And, and the way that um, you get a monkey off your back, UAB's won the last seven of eight. You, you've got to come away with something every single time. And Southern Miss fans would never admit this. They would never admit that they feel inferior to UAB because of how much they've owned UAB over the years, but when you look at the second half of the series, um, it's it's just like they've owned us. And so, whether or not you admit that or not, it's in the psyche. And so, if you if every time you have an opportunity to score, uh, you get something. Um, they they have to do that. They cannot leave points on the, off the board. Luke Johnson on your radio on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau um, hoops. Delta State got a win on Tuesday night, opening night of college basketball. How'd it look? 
Well, they shot the ball pretty good. Uh, we should we should say congratulations to Jay Ladner for his first career win. We should also note every Southern Miss fan loves to say this, but Jay Ladner's first career win he surpasses um, Ellis Johnson um, with with career wins for him. So we always want to <laughs> oh, make geez. that point. And uh, but congratulations to uh, to Jay Ladner. It's pretty cool. They had a first five hundred fans got a, got some rally towels commemorating his his uh, coming back. They were in all white. Kind of reminiscent of that 87 NIT team he was on. Shot the ball pretty good. They were 57% uh, from the night. Just a uh, really explosion from uh, senior Bo uh, Jack Donney. He's he's from London, England. He scored 30 points last year as a whole. Scored 29 Tuesday night and had 10 rebounds. So uh, he's a, a big big guy down low for the Eagles. Hopefully uh, can help them not just have to play uh, out of the backcourt. Um, Ladavis Green had eight points. Tyler Stevens had 18 points. Leonard Harper Baker, nine, nine rebounds down low. He's going to be a, a big need to fill. So, yeah, it's what it was. They played better than, than they did, uh, in the exhibition game. Um, got South Alabama tomorrow night. But yeah, just, uh, Jack Domney was, uh, was a big surprise. One more, po- one less point than what he had all of last year. If he can uh, keep that up, it'll be uh, quite the season for him. Next action tomorrow against South Alabama. So a road game. For Southern Miss basketball tomorrow, hey, I've been meaning to ask you this, but I don't know. You were in India, and so it made it a little difficult. Have we got any baseball schedule news for Southern Miss for the 2020 season yet? I've not seen a release with you know any of the early non-conference stuff. You got anything for me? Hasn't been released yet. As soon as that that comes down, we will we'll let you know for sure. But but on the baseball front, didn't know if you saw this or not. They're ripping up the grass, going to install yep. that artificial service at, at the peak. Um, Scott Berry is just like really excited about that, uh, just for a lot of reasons. But, uh, it's, it's coming in. It should be about a 10 week project. Some of the, uh, Oregon State and uh, Tennessee, Houston, some of those same facilities, the same type of services being installed. So it's going to be a brand new look at the peak. But as soon as that schedule, we get some insight on that, we'll let you know. Rain, rain, go away in terms of, uh, Hattiesburg trying to get that project done as quickly as possible because. We get from um, first week of November to the first week of February, first week of January in a hurry, and they're practicing baseball, and it's time to go. Gets here fast, Luke. It's ninety-eight days, I think, guys. Ninety-eight days till open. Is it really? Yeah, I think so. Wow. All right, Borky, we need to start our countdown of a hundred teams in a hundred days <laughs> for college baseball. I'll make the list. All right. Luke, enjoy the weekend, man. Thanks so much for your time. All right, guys. Have a great weekend. See you later. Luke Johnson, co-host of the Eagle Hour on Super Talk Hattiesburg, Super Talk Laurel, joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line this afternoon. 98 days from baseball season. That gets you excited, Rippy? I'm excited for the weather. Week one weather? I am. With the cold's already gotten to you, you just can't wait for that 70 and sunny in February? I just like it because it's guaranteed. Guaranteed. It will be spectacular. Um, Some stuff on the horizon here at uh, Super Talk Mississippi. Need to make you aware of, like tonight, scoreboard show is at 10 o'clock, the Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Company scoreboard show here on Supertalk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm and at supertalktv.com. Longest-running scoreboard show for high school in the state of Mississippi. 
And then, of course, after we finish up here, 6 o'clock, the uh, scoreboard preview show. Playoffs beginning in three classifications tonight, final week of the regular season in 1A, 5A, and 6A. We'll talk some high school football coming up in a little while. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi. Don't you love how Alabama has kind of claimed that they've, like, came up with LED lights? <laughs> you remember how big a deal it was a few weeks ago when they had the LED lights at a home night game? And somebody was tweeting yesterday about the fact that if, you know, this game kicks off at 2.30, but it will turn dark during the game, and when it does, Alabama will turn on its new lights. Didn't people start installing LED lights in college football stadiums like three or four years ago? Yeah, it's not new. It needs to go away, though. Not the the concept of LED lights. The ability to quick turn them on is a great thing. But the you, you don't like the colored light show, though. And that's that's a cool angle to it. But the just flashing of the LED lights after a touchdown thing is obnoxious. I was watching the Patriots game the other day, and there's no way if you're there that that is cool. It is miserable to watch on television. Like, you think something's wrong with your TV. I don't know. I think it's kind of cool in person. I'm surprised the coaches like that or let that happen. I mean, it's just like a get the st- you know, the stadium's jumping around and bouncing and the music's going and lights are flashing. It's just a new toy that marketing people have to play with, really, though. Oh, yeah. And whatever sells tickets, I guess. And it doesn't last very long. No. I mean... Usually it's during a commercial break on television also. But when they sync up the music stuff, and now everybody's using the apps on your phone, you know, if you've got a specific app to a school, they ask you to hold that up, and then it becomes part of the light show as well. That is really cool. I'm not sure how I feel about ceding control of my phone to some electronic signal that's bouncing through the stadium that tells it when to do something. Does that bother you at all? No. No, no, because it, it, they did it at the Saints game, and it was awesome. Oh, so because it was the Saints oh, game, dude, I wouldn't care. I think it's awesome. I, it's so cool that they can sync up with, through via an app on your phone a light show inside of a stadium. I think that's awesome. They do it with like wristbands and stuff. There was one hockey team that gave out like special cups, and if you were getting a beer or whatever, they'd just fill up that cup. But the cup flashed to the music and to all this stuff. It was programmed somehow to follow that along. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's awesome. No, it's pretty cool. I, I'm uh, I'm with you. I, I, I kind of like all the different stuff that uh, they're doing. Um, We got time for Mike Leach or are we out of time? No time. No time. I will save con- this forever. You can do this in the 5 o'clock hour. Yeah, I'll play it in the 5 o'clock hour. There you go. Um... Games tonight involving SEC teams Auburn and Davidson are playing at the Naval Academy in Annapolis. So I guess that's kind of cool. A little early season tournament set up there. Uh, Kentucky is hosting Eastern Kentucky tonight. By the way, Auburn a two-and-a-half point favorite against Davidson. Kentucky is a 28-and-a-half point favorite at home tonight against Eastern Kentucky. Ole Miss in basketball, 21.5-point favorite against Arkansas State. LSU season opener. Ole Miss and LSU, the last two teams in the SEC to start their season. LSU favored by 13.5 at home against Bowling Green. 
Missouri, a 13-and-a-half-point favorite against Northern Kentucky, and Mississippi State is hosting Sam Houston State tonight. No line on that one, Borky? Uh, I couldn't find one on Odd Shark or anywhere. All right. wonder you why that is. On the top of your head? No. I'll let you set one if you want to. 17. Mississippi State, Sam Houston State. Are you thinking? No. Well, I don't. I don't know. Anything I told you I was going to let you set the line. Okay. Borky went with seventeen. You you just flaked out on me. Yeah, I don't see a, a line there. Both Six. of those teams want to know to start the year. Hmm? Sixteen. <laughs> I was thinking sixteen and a half. Uh, so those are the games tonight uh, involving SEC teams. Ole Miss hoops game tonight. Anything you expect to see? It'll be interesting to see if K.J. Buffin, I guess, kind of carries over. I say carries over. It was one exhibition game. How much he actually emerges into an improved offensive player and how much of the scoring load he handles. Because presumably they're still going to be backcourt driven in scoring. But I mean that and a couple of the new guys like C and Semi Hunter and how they kind of rotated in a game that counts. How different does Luis Rodriguez look physically from what he looked like a year ago? A lot different. Didn't play very well in the scrimmage, though. Kermit said he wouldn't start if he didn't. I, didn't, I couldn't tell if Kermit said he isn't, wasn't going to start because of that or if he continued to do that in practice. He didn't rebound and didn't defend very well, Kermit thought. So wonder if he'll be in the starting lineup this evening. I guess that's another thing to look for. Yeah, I guess we'll wait and see. There's been a lot of talk about Rodriguez in the offseason kind of leading up to the start of this year. So... Maybe trying to light you a fire. You could see it in his limited action last year that he had the ability to be really explosive if you know he focused on it. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. One hour in the books. Four o'clock hour coming up next after this. Quick timeout. Four o'clock hour with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Scott Rippey coming to you from the Renaissance Bank studio. Show's brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. Maybe you want to build a dream house in the country. Maybe it's buying a piece of recreational property. Or maybe you're a farmer who already is doing business with Mississippi Land Bank, but you want to do a little bit more. Buy some new equipment, refinance an existing loan, buy a new piece of property, or get your production loans lined up. Mississippi Land Bank can handle all of that. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Started doing this a few weeks ago. We'll continue to bring it to you on Fridays. Just kind of a scattershot stories of interest from all across college football. This is your college football roundup. A little good, bad, and the ugly there? A little bit. How about this? Georgia and Ohio State have agreed to play each other in football in a home-and-home series in 2030 and 2031. Now, that's not as far off as some of the recent scheduling we've seen, but it is still a decade away. They've played each other previously only one time. The schools announced the Future Series yesterday. Bulldogs will host the Buckeyes September 14th, 2030, and Georgia will go to Ohio State for the season opener August 30th, 2031. 
Bulldogs coach Kirby Smart, we are committed to playing in as many big games as possible on the national stage. Matchups with a team like Ohio State are one of the many reasons great players come to Georgia. Now, this is not new. Georgia has been scheduling a bunch of high-profile home-and-home series over the last couple of years. Future home-and-home with Oklahoma. They'll play one game in 2023, the other in 2031. Home-and-home with UCLA in 25 and 26. Florida State in 27 and 28. Texas in 28 and 29. So in 2028, Georgia is going to play both Florida State and Texas and Georgia Tech and eight SEC games. How about that schedule in 2028? It's a lot of games for Kirby to coach himself out of. Bulldogs will also play three Power 5 opponents in the Chick-fil-A kickoff game in Atlanta. They've got Virginia next season to start the year, Oregon in 2022, and Clemson in 2024. What you got, Borky? Southern Cal has hired a new athletic director. In spite of reporting earlier in the week that Mike Bone, he was the athletic director at Cincinnati, was not going to take the job because he was told he would not be allowed to hire Urban Meyer. Um, That reporting ended up either being uh, worked out or not true at all because he took the job and they were asked during his introductory press conference uh, whether or not he had a restriction on who he could hire and the president of the university said, full quote here, no. So Urban Meyer might be on the table for for Southern Cal. Um, And what's funny, a couple of things, he's actually a college baseball player at Kansas has zero ties to the University of Southern California, which is a novel concept for them, uh, at least in recent hires. Uh, But when they gave the introductory press conference, he had not spoken or met his head football coach. That happened shortly thereafter, but he introduced himself or was introduced as the AD at the university and had yet to meet the football coach. They do things a little bit differently at Southern Cal. Just a little bit. He also was asked about whether or not he felt like there was going to be a need to change and just, you know, as you would expect, said it's too early to make any determinations about the future of the program. And Clay Helton has spoken glowingly about his new boss, uh, Mike Bone. I wonder why. Smart guy. Uh, Tuscaloosa. Alabama coach Nick Saban told ESPN a couple of days ago that quarterback Tua Tonga-Vailoa has made promising strides this week in practice and that, quote, there's a good chance he will play, close quote, on Saturday against number 2 LSU if he continues to make the progress he's made to this point. Nick Saban, it's still day-to-day, and you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day, but he's moving around well and throwing the ball with confidence. His mobility will be the big question, but every day that's improved dramatically. For the year, Tagovailoa has thrown for 2,166 yards, 27 touchdowns. He's picked off, uh, been picked off only twice this year. Uh, he underwent a tightrope surgical procedure on October 20th, the science behind that is kind of divided. Some doctors say, yes, this is cutting-edge stuff. Some doctors say, really not necessary. And you really have not seen NFL doctors adopt this procedure to try and get guys quickly back after uh, suffering high ankle sprains. Gary Danielson, who's going to be on the call alongside um, Brad Nessler on Saturday afternoon, was at Alabama's practice yesterday, Bort. Yeah, and he will probably never be allowed to go to an Alabama practice ever again. He was on Peter Burns' radio show this morning and said, quote, I watched Tua practice yesterday. He's not 100%. I don't care what Alabama says. 
He doesn't have that spring in his step. It's not natural. He's okay. I'd be playing if I was him, but he's not the Tua that started the season. Is that really divulging anything? Yes and no. Because on one hand, how much did they actually show anybody at that practice? And after that kind of procedure, does anybody expect him to be 100% honestly? See, to me, that's the concern. Because he made it back for the national championship game a year ago. But he clearly wasn't 100%. He was good. But he wasn't the two that we saw in the regular season. Bigger question. And, and I'm not I'm not trying to paint Tua in any other light. I mean, his numbers speak for themselves. But is he a guy that is injury prone? You have to ask that question now, don't you? Well, yeah. I mean, third year starter, an NFL three, team, yeah. and if you're an NFL team and you're thinking Tua number one overall. He's had two major high ankle sprains, one on each leg. Is that concerning? Quick sidebar, it will not be the president doing the guest picking. It will be Justin Thomas, the former Alabama golfer. Wait, was there, there wasn't a rumor floating around that Trump was going to be on game day. No, there? it was just wishful thinking. There you go. Um, Minnesota has already put together a historic season winning their first eight games for the first time since 1941. But the Gophers are hoping to continue making records. Unfortunately, the easier part of their schedule is in the rear view, and the remaining four games are posing significant challenges, starting tomorrow with number 4 Penn State visiting Minnesota. That game is on ABC at 11 o'clock Central Time. Minnesota has handled its first eight opponents fairly easily after having some tight games early in the year. Last month, they've been really good. They're averaging 36 points per game with an average margin of victory of a little better than 18 points. But they have not faced a defense ranked better than 49th in touchdowns allowed this season. Obviously, Penn State's defense is good. If there is a weakness for Penn State, it's in the passing game. Maybe the bigger question, and Rippy, we were talking about this in the break, because you've got Alabama LSU happening tomorrow, I don't know that I can remember a time where you had a pair of eight nose going at each other where it got less conversation than this one. Yeah, this would normally be must see TV this late in the year. I mean, we are in November, but this isn't a normal week. It it's not going head to head with LSU Alabama though. I mean, no, but it's a perfect setup. The rating number should be pretty good because most people not in the state of Alabama, are gearing their days around watching that game. And so what do you do before the game comes on? You put the next best thing. So the numbers should be okay. Uh, Friend of the show, Ryan Brown, pointed out on Twitter, though, as of Wednesday, the the university ticket office was still trying to get tickets distributed to anybody. wasn't sold out. And part of it is because the high tomorrow in Minneapolis is 40 with a 60% chance of rain. Mm. forget that that's why you don't build outdoor stadiums in Minnesota especially if you want to get people to show up to your game used to it not used to it doesn't matter 40 degrees and rain is miserable no wonder they can't sell tickets 
Number one, Ohio State is hosting Maryland at 11 o'clock tomorrow on Fox. Ohio State is a 43-and-a-half-point favorite. Best player gets suspended, and the line does not move an inch. Penn State, Minnesota. Penn State's a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Florida kicks at 11 on ESPN. Gators are a 27-point favorite at home. And looks like Vanderbilt is going to start their third-string quarterback in the game. Interesting game in Fort Worth. You heard uh, Bruce Marshall mention this one earlier. Number 12 Baylor at 8-0 and on the year is a two-and-a-half-point favorite at TCU. SMU trying to bounce back from their loss to Memphis last week, 8-1 and on the season, big favorite at home against East Carolina. How about Texas, a seven-point favorite at home against number 16 Kansas State. That game on ESPN at 2.30 going head-to-head with LSU and Alabama. That could be a fun one. Kansas State, 6-2 and two on the year, ranked 16th in the country. Longhorns are 5-3. and three. Top 25 matchup in Madison, Wisconsin. Number 18, Iowa, 6-2. and two. At number 13, Wisconsin, also 6-2. and two. That is your college football roundup in the Renaissance Bank studio. Is that Miami? Oklahoma State. Really? How do you not know that? I don't know. There's something in the... the, the it, there's a sound there, though, where it, like the, the Miami fight song, they've got the deal where it goes, Miami, Miami. There are some Anyways. similar tunes from like different schools that are hard to distinguish sometimes. Yeah. Um, this just came across my Twitter, by the way. Would, would have added it into the uh, roundup if I'd have seen it before then. Uh, Chad Morris's buyout. So there's been some conflicting reports. Uh, apparently, this is the accurate one. This is from Arkansas Rivals. Um, if they were to fire him before December 31st of this year, $12,250,000. If they were to fire him at any point in the year 2020, $9,800,000. That is his buyout language. <sighs> Such a complicating factor. So, I mean, if you're going to get a new coach, you want him in place at the end of the season going into the recruiting cycle going into that early signing period but it's going to cost you three and a half million dollars to do it on November 29th versus January 1st seriously I mean what are you gaining by not waiting it's just crazy I mean he had a six year contract he's got four years left on his contract after this one I mean, I guess that's the name of the game, but uh, how many other people were after Chad Morris to where you give him a six-year contract well, worth that kind of money? And, Borky, the other complicating factor in this thing is if you wait until January 1st, the coaching carousel has already stopped spinning. And so... Was there a coach that you would have liked to have hired or would have liked to have been in the running for that you missed out on because you had to wait until the 1st of January? I mean, if you're going to make a change, don't you just have to own that you put a bad contract in place 
And it's going to cost you an extra $3.5 million to get it out? Get out of it? Wow. Also included in this story, and they're, they're actually uh, citing a report from the Democrat Gazette, um, the Razorback Foundation is still paying Brett Bielema's buyout of almost yep. $12 million, and they believe that he didn't actively pursue other jobs and is coaching the defensive line in New England for under-market value. And they have stopped making its monthly $320,000 payments to Brett Bielema and are asking him to repay the $4.2 million he's already received. So whenever that gets decided, if it's determined that Bielema actually did pursue other jobs, they still owe him $8 million. I mean, good for Arkansas for going after that money that they think they deserve. But, wow. And for what it's worth, they paid Jeff Long $700,000 before he was hired by Kansas. Yeah, I mean... Yikes. But but, but again, aren't you... If this goes to some sort of arbitration or or court, aren't you going to have trouble convincing a judge or an arbitrator that Brett Bielema didn't do what he was supposed to do? He went out and got a job as an assistant coach with the New England Patriots. And for a short time worked at Alabama, right? As some kind of analyst before he went to New England? Yeah. Let's see what see if we can find Brett Bielema's um, salary with the Patriots. And those numbers, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. So each month on the job, his buyout would drop by about $200,000 or 70% of his salary. So on December 1st, if they fire him, it's actually not $12 million. It's just over ten. Hmm. So the buyout required him to be actively pursuing another job and his salary above $150,000 a year would mitigate the total buyout. Plus they're having to pay... Aren't they having to pay Mike Anderson after they fired him as well? Where is he now? He's the head coach at St. John's. I mean, his deal may be one that was mitigated a little bit. Yeah, like uh, Jeff Long, who was owed 4.6, but since he took the Kansas job, uh, he was only paid the, the time period that he was not hired by somebody else. But that's still just... I mean, think about the millions of dollars we've just thrown out here. I mean, this is Arkansas doing their best Tennessee impersonation from when Mike Hamilton was in charge. It's just ten million line. here, eight million here, seven hundred thousand here. Just all of this money just getting thrown everywhere. And look, Arkansas's got lots of money from donors, and they've got very, very wealthy donors at the top end. But asking donors to write checks to eliminate bad contracts—that's a hard ask. And I don't care whether it's you know somebody from the Walton family who's got a net worth of. $40 billion, or if it's Johnny Tyson of Tyson Foods, or it's you know somebody from uh, uh, Stevens, Inc., or you know one of the other billionaires in Arkansas, 
People don't become billionaires by just throwing their money away. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. The Ceasefire tech movement is moving our region forward through teaching and technology that strengthens our economy, positions it for success in today's digital age, and improves the quality of life in our communities. Join the movement today at cspire.com slash techmvmt, Ceasefire customer inspired. Mentioned this, uh, Mike in Oxford says, add Jerry Jones to the list as well. Hey, yeah, I mean, Jerry Jones is a billionaire as well. But an incredibly shrewd businessman. And again, hey, Jerry, we need, uh, can you write us a check for $6 million? Well, yeah, I could. What do you need it for? we got to fire this guy. Oh, the one that just named my grandson's starting quarterback? Yeah, that one. Mm, I'm good. And And this comes two years after... Well, I guess technically they, they didn't go get a lump sum to pay Bielema out. They're just paying him periodically. But this is two years after they had to get rid of a $12 million contract. Which, I mean, that that is the question, right? I mean, we've had the conversations here in this state already. You know, more head to Rutgers, more head to literally anywhere else, please. Those kind of conversations. And the same thing have come up for Ole Miss as well. Having too much coaching turnover can be more damaging as a middling program. It's it's almost kind of pick your poison. Really difficult decision, but just what should Arkansas do here? Do you just keep spinning the wheel, paying another buyout that that you may not be able to afford? Excuse me. And oh, by the way. A $226 million stadium expansion that opened last year. So you asked all of your donors for 200 something million dollars on top of now your third buyout in two years with the basketball Are you going to help them pay for it? What? You're going to help them pay for it? Don't have that kind of cash. But yeah, it's expensive and they have a decision to make. Which does not put them in a unique situation. No, not at all. Although, I, you know, I just, I, I mean, if, the, if you want to say reading the tea leaves or hey, call it whatever you want to, everything I'm hearing from people around Ole Miss and related to the athletics department, there's not going to be a change with Matt Luke. And that was always seen as very unlikely anyway. It was seen as very unlikely. And this is a team that's still got a chance to get to five wins. Six seems like the longest of long shots at this point. I mean, mathematically, yes, but unlikely. Um, it would it'd be if if we rewind to the beginning of the year and we talked about what would be a successful season for Ole Miss. You said five wins. I said I thought they'd get to five wins. I said they need to get to bowl eligibility for six. Yeah. Um. So maybe that was the most likely outcome kind of going into the year. Now, with that said, I think the way the season has played out and the way the schedule has played out, it's probably more frustrating for Ole Miss fans that they didn't get to six, given that they lost to Memphis by five when only they gave up 15 points. Cal has turned out not to be nearly as good as they looked in Oxford, despite a good start to the season and getting into the top 25. A&M was a winnable game. 
And Missouri was, even though the final score was, what, 17 or 21, whatever it was, it was not crazy to see a different outcome in that one. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, Friday afternoon, final week of the regular season of high school football in Mississippi for classes 1A, 5A, and 6A. For 2A, 3A, and 4A, playoffs begin tonight. Scoreboard preview show comes up immediately after Sports Talk Mississippi this afternoon. And we'll carry you up to kick off of some high school football games on your local Super Talk stations. And then tonight from 10 until 11.30, it's the Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Company's scoreboard show hosted by Stephen Gagliano. He and Will East join us right now. What's up, boys? It's uh, madness out there. Madness. <laughs> it's all over after tonight, though. All the madness, at least. Yeah, the madness is. You, still, yeah. you, get, you get playoff games. We get to put away the calculators. Thank God. Yes. Oh, when you got to once you get to the playoffs, though, that's when the madness really begins, isn't it? The good kind. The, yeah, the good madness. The good, the like the March madness in in basketball. The fun madness. Right now, it's uh, trying to calculate points and who, how many points this team needs to get in, or how many points sure. this team needs to score to eliminate this team. It's not very fun. So no point differential madness after tonight, but there are some big matchups all over the state of Mississippi. What's the biggest game tonight? I think it's Tupelo and and uh, um, Oxford. Oxford. I think in Tupelo, it's in Tupelo and that beautiful blue turf of theirs, and it's it's a weird setup. Tupelo has a chance to win the region if they win by eleven or more points. This is one of those point <laughs> things that we're talking Jeez. about. Okay. So if they win by eleven or more points, Tupelo's your number one seed in Region One. Oxford is uh, uh, Olive Branch is number two. Oxford is number three. Horn Lake is already locked up to the number four spot. If Tupelo wins by nine points or less, it's just like they lost the game in the standings. They're going to be the three seed. Oxford will be number one seed. Olive Branch will be number two. But get this. If Tupelo beats Oxford by exactly ten points, exactly ten points, Olive Branch is the number one seed. Tupelo <laughs> oh, is number two. And Oxford is number three. Uh um, based on the way that things are set up, so Region 1 hooked up with Region 3, right? Uh, region 1 is hooked up with Region 2. With Region in the 2. North. Yeah. Then you really want to be the one seed because that means you would... Help me out. You The number one seed, the number one and number two seed, they both get a home game. Okay. And they get an easier matchup. Now we say easier matchup. In in six A, it's always difficult. It it really is. Sure. But it's it's more manageable, I guess. But but the playoff teams from Region Two that you're looking at are Starkville, South Panola, Madison Central, and Warren Central, right? Yeah, that's another one that's got to play out tonight. So if you're let's say Oxford, and you, let's say you win, you beat Tupelo tonight, and you're the number one seed, you might be playing Madison Central uh, next week. Uh, or you might be playing South Panola. Uh, or you might be playing Warren Central. You, you really don't know. And if you lose, guess what? Now you got to go on the road as a three seed, and you got to play a, t- a tough game. You might have to go to uh, to Warren Central. You might have to go to South Panola. You might have to go to, to Madison Central, just depending on the way things work out. All right, so some of the games that we need to look at tonight. Gulfport and Biloxi down on the coast. Is this a big one? 
Uh, Gulfport is pretty much locked up Region 4 of 6A. Okay. Uh, Biloxi's trying to uh, secure their spot. They're either going to be a three-seed or a four-seed. Uh, Gulfport's done really well. Uh, they have won every regional game for the past three years, I believe. They could make it uh, a solid. I think this would be three years running that they would win every single regional game. The Go question, Gator. Yeah, the question for Region 4 of 6A is, can they make it out of the first round of the playoffs? In the past four years, they've won one game. That's 16 games that they've played in the playoffs. They've won only one of those games. And every loss that they've had has pretty much been a blowout. And you're dealing with Region 3, which is where you have Pearl and Brandon and Petal and Oak Grove and all those teams, right? <laughs> That's where the real mess is right there is Region 3. Okay. Yeah, we've got a, a doomsday scenario in that one. If Northwest Rankin beats whoever they are playing, and Oak that Grove. is yeah, Oak Grove, and George County beats Meridian, and Pearl beats Brandon in the Rankin County Super Bowl, then we're back to a five-way tie scenario, and then it's all oh depending on... How many points were scored in region play, I believe? Not the whole season, just region play. i put it to you this way. I don't ever remember this happening. I've never seen a scenario. Now, we have it occasionally for for like a four seed. You know, some two teams are tied, and they have to go look at the points and who scored the most, and that's the team that gets in. But we've never seen five teams get log jammed, and it come down to points for all five teams for three spots. We've never seen that. So I'm not saying it's going to happen. But it's in the realm of possibility. It could. Uh, George County is going to beat Meridian tonight. Meridian has, I think, just one loss on or one win on the season. Pearl and Brandon—that's Rankin County Super Bowl. You never know what's going to happen there. Eat dirt, baby. And then you got Northwest Rankin and Oak Grove. <laughs> Who knows what can happen? I mean, you 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 get two games that that you would consider upsets, but that, that aren't really big upsets that could definitely go that way. And you're looking at a a five way tie for three spots. Warren Central at South Panola. How does that one play out? Got to be South Panola, I think. Uh, you know, the way that they've been able to play so, this so, season, get back to kind of who they are and who many people expect them to be, I think they get a win tonight to round out the regular season. And then I think that right. would lock them into two. I would say, Stephen, if South Panola wins that game against Pearl Central, does that lock Warren Central into the four seed? I believe it does. Let me pull this okay. back up. Yes, it does. Okay. Um, Pearl at Brandon. Uh, Brandon's the favorite, right? Brandon's the favorite, and this game is it's simple and complicated at the same time. It, the simple part is you win and you're in the playoffs. You lose, you're out of the playoffs. It's essentially, it's the way it way it's going to work out. It's complicated in the fact that it's going to determine everything else that goes on, along with all the other games in Region 3 of uh, 6A. It's crazy that Brandon, a team that at one point was the number one team in the state, is possibly going to get knocked out of the playoffs tonight, but that's kind of where we are. That's kind of indicative of this season so far. And Pearl, who was the number two team in the state at one point, they're yeah. you know the best that they can hope for is I think is, is a uh, is a th- uh, a three seed. And I'm, if I'm reading this correctly from uh, Brandon Shields on Mississippi Gridiron, this says if Pearl beats Brandon by three to ten points, Brandon is still the three and Pearl is the four seed. So <laughs> even if they win. You're still the fourth seed yes. unless you win by 11 or more. And that's yes. more of these kind of tricky <laughs> scenarios that uh, we have the the unfortunate pleasure of breaking down tonight at 10 o'clock. Guys, I'm going to press pause quickly. We'll come back to this, but I want to read this tweet that I just saw. This is from 
Sudu, help me say his last name. Ubedea. Ubedea. Breaking news. High-profile Memphis attorney Leslie Bowen says the NCAA has ruled James Wiseman ineligible to play. He says Penny Hardaway helped finance Wiseman and his family's move to Memphis from Nashville. I added that. Back in high school, the NCAA has deemed Penny a booster. (laughs) Wow. Whoa. Whoa. That is odd. That's the number one overall pick, potentially. Well, and there's, I'm not saying anything else is going to come of it, but you presume there might end up being a larger scope deal and maybe possibly a trickle-down effect? Like, wouldn't that be kind of your natural reaction there? Like, if that's what it took to get James Wiseman, maybe what did it take to get all of those other studs? Maybe what you're saying? Uh, kind of. Not the first time that I've heard the story about the move from Nashville to Memphis. Sorry. We'll come back to that in just a minute, but I just saw that and wanted to be sure that we got that news out there. Um, we talked a bunch about teams trying to get into the playoffs. What about teams that are already in the playoffs? Give me the best playoff game that's happening tonight. You've actually got some really quality matchups in round one, which maybe you don't expect. But you've got teams like an 8-2 and two Boonville, 7-3 and three North Panola playing in 3A. Uh, in 2A, you've got 9-1 and one Enterprise playing 8-2 and two Lake. Bay Springs is 9-2, and two, and they're playing Scott Central, who's 8-2. and two. So really, some of these higher-quality teams in these lower classifications will play in round one of the playoffs. And a big shout-out to Northside. They're a new school. They're in their second year of play. Uh, they, were, they were created because of consolidation. They have their first-ever playoff game as a school tonight. They're going to play Madison-St. Joe. And Northside has the best defense, as far as stats are concerned, in the entire state. They've allowed a total of 20 points on the season. They have seven shutouts. No team has scored more than eight points on them. And this is their second year of football. Whew. Well done. Well done. Preview show coming up about an hour and 15 minutes from right now. Will and Steven will break down all of these scenarios that you've got to look forward to. And then, oh, by the way, well, 10 o'clock tonight, you've got the scoreboard show. Steven, you guys are going to figure out all of the playoff scenarios by the time you go off the air at 1130, right? Yes, every single one of them. Calculator in hand. <laughs> you can quote me on that. I love it. Thanks, guys. Yes, sir. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, Stephen Gagliano, and Will East with a little high school football preview. We're back after this in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Woo! Memphis Tigers have a basketball game tonight against the University of Illinois Chicago. Uh, news has come out just in the last little bit that Memphis attorney Leslie Bowen says the NCAA has declared James Wiseman of the Memphis Tigers ineligible. Um, for what it's worth, and whether you like him or not, Pat Forty has said just kind of a point of order here, not likely that the NCAA would have declared him ineligible but rather they would have said a violation has occurred and Memphis, you need to declare him ineligible so as not to forfeit games. 
I don't know if that really matters one way or the other. Uh, maybe it's Pat Forty just trying to be the smartest guy in the room. I, I don't know. But it's a big story. That. Um, so Chris Luther at WMC-TV5 uh, tweets, Allen says this all stems from high school. The NCAA believes Hardaway helped high, uh, Wiseman and his family move to Memphis during that time, and that so, made Penny a booster. To be clear, Woj, like we were saying in the break, said 2008. That doesn't make any sense, right? No, 2008 is not accurate, which is what is in Adrian Wojnarowski's Tweet, tweet, which would have made but it's, Wiseman it's, like seven yeah, it's years not old. Right. That it's it's, it's 2017 or 18. Um, Ballon is representing Wiseman and has filed a lawsuit against the NCAA and the University of Memphis challenging the ruling. A quote from attorney Leslie Ballon, there's no way Penny thought he would become involved with Memphis basketball at that time. Wiseman just wants to play basketball. James has done nothing wrong. He has come here to the University of Memphis to play basketball, and that's what we're trying to accomplish for him. Wiseman's lawyers say the payments in question were made in 2017. At that time, the University of Memphis was, quote, nowhere on the radar, close quote, according to Wiseman's lawyers. It's unclear if Wiseman will play tonight against the University of Illinois Chicago. Um, Actually, that's pretty clear that he won't says he could play as Wiseman's attorneys have filed an injunction to keep the status quo until it can be worked out. The problem with that is if Memphis chooses to play him, even with an injunction in place, and it's later found out there was a violation, then you have to go back and forfeit games. Memphis plays Oregon on Tuesday, by the way. Okay. If he's deemed a booster... How does he recruit anybody? Well, or is it yeah, situational? That's kind, of, that's kind of my point. And so, well, I don't understand the defense. Like, I, in what have there been? Is there precedent for coaches being deemed boosters? Does, does anyone know off the top of their head? Because Never if heard he's of that before, because I'm not even sure that him saying he wouldn't have known he's taking the head coaching job is a valid defense. Is it? Boosters referred to by the NCAA are representatives of the institution's athletics uh, athletic interests. Okay. Anyone that is a booster, uh, in- including anyone who has provided a donation in order to obtain season tickets for any sport at the university, participated in or has been a member of an organization promoting the university's athletics programs, made financial contributions to the athletic department or to a university booster organization, arranged for or provided employment for enrolled student-athletes, assisted or has been requested by the university staff to assist in the recruitment of student-athletes, assisted in providing benefits to enrolled student-athletes to their families, or been involved otherwise in promoting university athletics. So even though he is now the head basketball coach at Memphis, and obviously that is not the case, or was not the case a couple of years ago, if Penny has ever given any money to Memphis or has ever bought tickets, then he would be a booster at the time at which this happened. That doesn't – in isolation, that doesn't sound right. I mean, if you want to hire a former player, let's say that former player didn't get into coaching right away, went into finance instead. 
became a season ticket holder because loved the school that he played for. And then turns out he wants to get into coaching and gets hired by a college and works his way up, and then his alma mater wants him to be a head coach. Would that mean that he was a booster and therefore he cannot recruit anybody? It seems like a slippery slope. Well, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time a rule would be short-sighted, right? <sighs> yeah. But yeah, you, it, it, that really does not make much sense. I don't understand. I'm fascinated to because Woj doesn't really make that many mistakes. Rob Dalster uh, just followed up with, and it's a typo. The 2008 thing that people were jumping all over clearly had, say, yeah. had no idea what they were talking about. It was a typo. So. Hmm. Interesting stuff. Borky and Rippy are going to carry you the rest of the way this afternoon. I'm headed over to the pavilion, get set for basketball. Um, Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, Wojnarowski says, 2018, comma, not 2008. No small detail, I know. So that was his correction. Literally changes everything. It changes everything. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. I forgot I put this in there at this time, Rippy. That's the Memphis fight song right there. Oh, that's a poetic. <laughs> Sports Talk Mississippi on a Friday. Michael Borky, Brian Scott, Rippy with you. And in case you're just joining us, big news broke. James Wiseman, who a lot of people thought had the potential of being the number one overall pick in the upcoming NBA draft, has been ruled ineligible. He's currently at Memphis. Uh, reportedly because Penny Hardaway, his coach, financed his family's move from Nashville to Memphis just last year, deemed Penny Hardaway a booster in the process. Wiseman is ineligible. So let me get this straight. The basketball coach at Memphis, who when this happened was not the basketball coach at Memphis, but literally everybody that paid attention knew that he was going to be the basketball coach at Memphis. Yeah, to, to important point there, if you'll think back, Tubby's last year, this was already like kind of being rumbled and in the works. Every loss that During Memphis the basketball on, season. Yeah. So that, that would be the 2017 basketball season. Everybody knew it was coming. And last year, he finances a player's move from Nashville to Memphis and then signs that player on his team. And they are defending it by saying he did not know he was going to be the coach at Memphis when he did that. Is that is that the timeline? Is that correct? That's what it seems like. Yes, that's what I got out of it. I mean, spot the lie. According to Christian Fowler, he is, uh, covers Memphis for 24-7. As we speak... Penny Hardaway and James Wiseman are in court. They tip off in 54 minutes. Good Lord. I mean, the game tonight, though, I mean, I know that's bizarre, but the game tonight's inconsequential, right? Like, if he misses it or misses part of it, they'll have an assistant coach. Who are they playing? Uh, Illinois-Chicago, I believe. So they'll win win by, yeah, UIC's one of the worst programs. They'll, They'll win by 20 and then... Okay, if if he come, does he coach the game? Do you think, or what? If he misses the game, then there's no chance to ask him questions about it afterward, right? Like, how does that work? Oh my gosh! Imagine the post game press conference. He that sits poor down. assistant that just has to come in and take the firestorm after that. <laughs> I would just go in there and be like, "I'm here, so I don't get fined. I'm an assistant." But 
I imagine he makes it back to the arena for the game, or at least part of it. Yeah, you would think so, but man. Uh, and you hate it for the kid. I mean, that's what gets lost in all of this, is that Penny Hardaway, it, and Jay Billis is right. He's kind of insufferable with his anti-NCAA thing sometimes, but he's right. Said on Twitter I think he's that, insufferable on purpose. Probably so. I guess you got to hammer a point somehow. But the coach gets to continue coaching. The coach, who also committed NCAA violations, continues to draw a paycheck, a very large one, from Memphis. The player cannot play. Has to sit out. The player is guilty until proven innocent. The coach, not the same treatment. Doesn't feel right to me. No, not at all. And it's not just on the surface level of him of it costing him games and it costing him a college experience and all of that stuff and playing basketball as the kid definitely wants to do. He was a prospect that had a really big chance to move up draft boards and potentially become the number one pick, but he was not like the Edwards kid at at, at Georgia or a couple of these other guys. Like they he like people needed to see a lot more of him, and that's true for a lot of these one and done guys at this point. You know, November of their only college basketball season. But he, in particular, if you like read anything draft related, seemed like he had a very, uh, I don't want, like low floor, high ceiling is not the right word, but very wide range as to where he could go and like where he could what he could end up being as an NBA prospect. So it, how much does this end up costing him financially in terms of draft stock as well? Somebody named Janice Broach from W. MC News in Memphis is reporting that a court order that they just got indicates that he can play tonight. My question is, what kind of court order can change NCAA eligibility status? That doesn't seem right to me. A court just can't step in and say, hey, NCAA, play that kid. That that doesn't make sense. Especially a court locally in Memphis. Yeah, that doesn't seem right. It doesn't add up at all. But again, I, I this is above my head. I mean, because if that was the case, don't you think that, say, Ole Miss would have filed whatever uh, court order that they got for Wiseman for, say, Laramie Tunsil? I've just never heard of this before. That does not seem right. A lot of uh, misinformation out there, starting with the best basketball reporter in the country. Possibly uh, the best sports reporter in terms of just having a grasp on his beaded sport like ever. Woj from ESPN had a typo. (laughs) He said in 2008 when James Wiseman was the ripe age of seven. So by Woj's timeline... Like I guess Penny helped him move his tricycle and bag of toys. Like I that would have that none of that made sense from the get go. Yeah, and these Memphis uh, are these Memphis people are taking this report that the court order says that uh, he can play tonight. Okay, here's the thing about that. That doesn't matter because if the NCAA ruled him and has ruled him ineligible and it's just a court order, if the timeline is correct, it, this is indefensible. If they I mean, they charged him with financing this move. He was hired in March of 2018. There's no defense to that. So if he can play tonight, at some point this year, he's going to be ineligible and he's not going to play basketball and Memphis is going to get hammered by the NCAA. Like, just because a court order says he can play today doesn't mean the future is altered in any way, shape, or form. Like, they've got you. 
If they have deemed your coach a booster, they've got you. It's over. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where this goes in the next, what, 48-ish hours? Because eventually you're going to hit a stall in terms of like what can and can't happen. But the next 48 hours and where the information actually clears up, because there's no way all of this is accurate. It doesn't really add up. No like chance. in terms of the temporary injunction and him playing tonight and the – obviously we got the 2008 part out of the way. That <laughs> well, And we get a text from the 605 that says he can play while his case is appealed. But but what case? The, the court case? Because actual – court and the NCAA's eligibility thing are they're very they're separate and a local Memphis court cannot tell the NCAA what to do that's that's what we're getting at this isn't like they ruled him ineligible for a year and Memphis is appealing it to the NCAA and the NCAA is saying okay well yeah you can play until we hear your appeal this is a court apparently saying that he can play and that does not add up that does not make any sense we get another text from the 662. This sounds like somebody that knows uh, legal stuff. In a civil case, a judge can order pretty much whatever as long as it's not illegal. The court looks at it as plaintiff and defendant. At this point, the NCAA is at the mercy of lawyers. Well, then why doesn't everybody do this? See, that, does, yeah, that doesn't add up to I'm not going to pretend to understand this. I, d- I don't understand this. Either way, though, I mean... If you're going to be so blatant to finance a move from Nashville to Memphis and then have the kid play for you and pretend like you didn't know you were taking the job, even though everybody knew that you were taking the job, uh, good luck defending that. I mean, yeah, that doesn't seem like that'll pass the smell test. It, it doesn't at all. And it's college basketball. We've spent, what, three years, two years on this very program and most sports programs in the country talking about how. In college basketball, high-level college basketball, if you're getting the best players, you are doing it via nefarious circumstances. I mean, guys literally went to prison for it. But when it's that obvious, you kind of get what you deserve. I mean, at least try to do something under the table. At least try to not have the dots so easily connected between you and your players. I mean, maybe let... A booster finance that move instead of you yourself? I don't know. I mean, other people Degrees seem to get away with Degrees of separation is what you're referring to. Yeah, which is... I saw somebody make a joke that... That it, was an Ole Miss problem. It's uh, really exciting to watch Alabama and LSU play tomorrow knowing both programs do everything the right way. And of course they don't, but they. I promise you Nick Saban's not financing one of his players' move uh, so he can play for him next year. I mean, they do They're not that the right stupid. Way. It's unbelievable. I mean, and what Wiseman should do is immediately go to the G League. Don't even fight this. Forget it. Go get 125K, play for a G League team for a year, still be the number one pick. I mean, what benefit is there of him fighting this to try to play for Memphis for, air quotes, free, when the G League will literally pay him $125,000 today to play for them? I don't is is that possible at this point because he's become an amateur athlete? I guess it would be. It's, I guess yeah, it's possible. Re- I guess there's no reason not to. Bunch of texts coming in. We'll get to those next. We were supposed to do picks. We may get to those at some point. And I've got a funny clip that we'll end the show with today. Mike Leach talking about the zombie apocalypse. We've been teasing that for like four days. I will play it for you at some point. It's Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. 
Rippy's taking off. He's off to the pavilion to cover Ole Miss basketball tonight. Richard will be on the call for the uh, broadcast tonight, television broadcast. And hey, Dad is off today. That means I am riding completely solo, running the board and all. Sports Talk Mississippi, I am Michael Borky. Continuing on with this story from Memphis and James Wiseman, we've gotten some clarification now, and I'm just surprised this isn't used more often. Or maybe the reason why you don't have these injunctions that stop the NCAA's ineligibility situation because, as I understand it, and we've got a text here from the 662, you don't have a name on it, but you've cleared this up for me, thank you, as well as Jason Munns, uh, who covers Memphis for the Memphis News. The court can step in and block that ineligibility ruling, at least for now, pending further litigation, but all of these games become subject of vacating based on playing an ineligible player depending on how the NCAA case goes. If I understand that correctly from Jason Munns and from uh, you all on the text line, that is why Memphis is going to go ahead and play him tonight I guess they're kind of betting on on themselves, uh, hoping that maybe they can beat this somehow. And so I, I mentioned the Laramie Tunsil case in the previous segment, why Ole Miss didn't try to do this, because if it comes back and you lose, well, then you played an ineligible player and those wins get vacated. That kind of situation here. Um, a bunch of texts. Steven says, you're not alone. We're here with you. I appreciate that, Steven. I know you are, and I'm uh, I'm glad that you are. Darren Jackson says, I'd be willing to bet that somewhere at the NCAA, there's a memo floating around that says Nick Saban is uh, hands-off. 6-1, who cares about vacating wins? It's a really good point. I mean, that's just a paper penalty to begin with, but um, I guess the motivation behind working with the NCAA is that maybe they'll take it later on you, even though we've seen in... Well, basically every case, that that is never a good idea. What Memphis should do right now is deny, deny, and and fight all day long because they're either hammering you or they're not, and cooperating will lead them to hammering you almost every single time. Uh, From the 601, we get a text that says, how do you know that he's not talking about heading towards the G League? I mean, they're going to play him tonight. I guess it's worth the fight. They're going to try to figure this out, but if I was advising him myself, I would say don't deal with the NCAA. They're never fair. I mean, Chase Young, which we'll get to here in a little bit, I think the best college football player in the country uh, has been suspended by the NCAA. That story came out earlier today because he took a loan from a family friend in which he has already paid back in full and did so before the season. But now they have suspended him at least until this matter is figured out. So dealing with them is never going to really work in your favor. They're never player-friendly. As we mentioned a few minutes ago as well, that Penny Hardaway still gets to coach and collect all of his big paychecks, and the player has to deal with eligibility and can he play and can't he play. If I was advising him for whatever it's worth, I would tell him to stop playing college basketball, leave Memphis, Go get 125K and play in the G League a bunch of, with a bunch of grown men and then become the number one pick and not have to deal with the headache. That is the NCAA. Kevin from Winona says, step back question. As a booster, can I pay for players' moves? Um, you can, but that player then cannot 
play for the school in which you are a booster of. That's why they're dealing with all of this mess is because the NCAA has deemed Penny Hardaway to be a booster and the player in question signed with the school that he is a booster for. So, I mean, you could do it. I would just, I would advise uh, against that. Jason in Columbus says, but yet LSU had a booster admit to stealing money and paying football players, but they are rolling to the college football playoff. Double standard. Well, it's a little bit different because that LSU case um, in question happened many years ago. I mean, this was not anything recent whatsoever. Uh, without knowing for sure, I imagine there's some kind of statute of limitations. Like Charles Barkley, for example, was just wide open about what happened with him at Auburn, but nobody's going to go investigate decades-old claims. Similar thing with the LSU and Our Lady of the Lake situation where that guy got, um, I mean, he was indicted for embezzling hospital charity funds and directing it to certain places, including to family members of football players. That just happened so long ago, it's probably not something they're going to tackle. Better argument would have been, how does Will Wade continue to coach at LSU with himself being recorded on a wiretap talking about a strong offer uh, that he made to a player that ended up playing for him? Quinn says erroneous. He's an LSU fan. From the 662, so as an alumni, if I order pizza for the Ole Miss team, are they ineligible? Says the NCAA has got to go. Nothing illegal is going on when you're helping kids. So you can pay for a team meal somehow, like pregame or something. Local businesses or whatever will give like the full football team a meal before a game. But you, if you're an alumni of let's say Ole Miss, for example, and you're at a pizza place and a handful of football players walk in, you cannot pay for their meal or they will be ruled ineligible by the NCAA. That's a violation. And I'm with you. I think we've learned, if nothing else, with the Chase Young thing, with this, now that they're contemplating players benefiting from their name, image, and likeness, that when it's something that isn't morally corrupt, why should kids, college kids who are just playing a game, be punished for something that happens to regular students? Because if James Wiseman was just a music major at Memphis and a big alumni, rich alumni, FedEx executive, whatever, from Memphis wanted to pay for their family to move to Memphis to be closer to where he was going to, school, going to play trumpet on scholarship for Memphis, that's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong there. Anybody can buy me or could have bought me food when I was in college for nothing at all. There's nothing morally corrupt about what's going on here. Even though it's open and it's obvious and it was clearly against NCAA rules, deep down in your gut, do you have anything wrong? or is Do you have any problems with Penny Hardaway when he was an AAU coach paying for this kid's family to move from... Nashville to Memphis. Is there anything wrong with that? It's his money. He can use it however he wants to, right? I could pay for anybody to move anywhere. It, that's where the scale is shifting away from the NCAA. And most of the reaction I've seen in social media is not the best gauge. Is people are more upset with the NCAA than they are 
making fun of Memphis and Penny Hardaway for breaking the rules because it's not morally wrong to help out a family that wants to move or to pay for the meals of college kids. That's where the disconnect is coming from. 601, uh, put your names on your text if you don't mind. Uh, 601 says, and yet again, an example of why our kids have no respect for authority. You do not have to do what you were told to do. You really are not ineligible. Defy authority. Do what you want to do. It. I understand what you're saying with that, but if you were accused of something, you wouldn't... If you were accused of a crime in real life, you wouldn't get a lawyer and try to mitigate the damages? If you were falsely accused of anything, you wouldn't fight it? You wouldn't try to mitigate the punishment? You would just accept the maximum penalty? I don't think so. So why should James Wiseman accept the maximum penalty? I've gotten, I mean, the worst legal trouble I've ever gotten in is really speeding tickets. I went and fought every single one of them. I was speeding. I accept the responsibility of it, but also I would rather not pay $500. I liked getting my fine knocked down. And maybe that's a bad lesson for millennials. Maybe you're, you're one of those rare people that would just write a check, whatever the government is asking you to because they caught you speeding and wouldn't fight it in any way shape or form anytime you got in any kind of trouble you would never fight it and accept the penalties i wouldn't and i have a feeling that you wouldn't either six six two another six six two text says i would tell penny to tweet out denying allegations and tell the people to email the, the uh, compliance department and just fight it Deny it all. Yeah, that's exactly what they should do. Deny every bit of it. Work for North Carolina. It's apparently working for LSU. They got a coach on a wiretap. He's still coaching. So deny until the end. Let's talk about this Chase Young story next. It's Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Friday right here on Sports Talk Mississippi. I am Michael Borky riding solo with you for the rest of the day. I mean, we're chugging along. I think we did a pretty good show today for the first couple of hours. Had some good topics to the college football roundup, talked some hoops, talked to Luke Johnson, got some picks with Bruce. You know, just chugging along on a regular Friday. And then... This bomb gets dropped about James Wiseman, and then he's ruled ineligible, and then they get a court injunction, and Penny is literally in court less than an hour before he tips off tonight. They win this injunction, at least temporarily, that allows him to play, and the number one college basketball player, the potential number one pick in the next NBA draft, is going to play tonight, but is dealing with NCAA eligibility issues. Wild situation. In case you missed it, if you're just joining us, a quick refresher. Uh, the NCAA has deemed Penny Hardaway a booster because he paid for the move of James Wiseman. He was top recruit, 
again, future number one overall draft pick potentially, his family's move from Nashville to Memphis last year. Of course, Wiseman came and played for Penny's AAU team and then turned around and signed with Memphis. Naturally, that becomes an NCAA violation. Their defense that they're going to go with is that Penny had no idea that he was going to be the head coach at Memphis when he paid for that move. And if that smells funny, it's because it is funny. Everybody knew. Every time Memphis lost a game in the 2017-18 season, his name was brought up. Everybody knew that was coming. So good luck defending that. The likelihood of you winning that is very, very, very small. But that is the situation we've got right now. And a court in Memphis is uh, just blocking the NCAA's eligibility thing pending further litigation. And if slash when Memphis loses this thing, the game tonight and every other game that he plays in uh, will be vacated. Which, as somebody pointed out, doesn't really matter. Vacated wins are a paper penalty. But it only took a year uh, for the NCAA to come in and crash down what Memphis was doing up there. As we mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, look, everybody does this. I've got a college football story we'll get to that just proves that everybody does this. But when you don't have any degrees of separation between you and the recruit, you kind of deserve what's coming. Most places do it differently. Most places have plausible deniability between coach and recruit. But when it's the coach doing this, you kind of you kind of deserve what's coming. And I hate it for the kid. I will always hate it for the kid. I, I'm kid first. I mean, what is James Wiseman supposed to do when, when his family is going to move him to Memphis? He, I mean, he's a high school kid. How much authority does a high school kid have in your house? And now he has to suffer more than everybody else. It's not fair. It's not fair at all. Jake and Laurel says it's pretty much a proven fact that everyone... Almost everyone wants uh, to fully abolish the NCAA. Here's another story. A banner day for the NCAA. College basketball's best player and now college football's best player ruled ineligible today. Chase Young, if you listen to the show every day, you've heard me say multiple times now that I think Ohio State defensive end Chase Young is college football's best player. He won't win the Heisman because the Heisman's a stupid award that is just given to a quarterback on a good team. But when we're talking football players, I don't think there's a better one in the country than Ohio State's Chase Young. He was, I guess you can call it suspended today due to a matter that happened last year. According to Chase Young himself, He accepted a personal loan to pay for general expenses from a family friend, a loan in which he paid back in full last year. There's no indication of where this came up, or I even joked on Twitter, if you follow me there, at Michael Borky, very clever Twitter name. I even joked that, who snitched on Chase Young? Because this doesn't really make sense. Why are you suspending him now? Somebody had to have told on him, or Ohio State self-reported, which would be just bizarre, but he accepted a 
according to him, and if this is true, a personal loan from a family friend and paid it back in full last year. Now, if he can prove that he paid it back in full last summer, then this will be likely just a one-game suspension. But that is a situation going on right now at Ohio State. It's just whether or not he can prove that loan was paid back in full. But it's just another example. And I hate this so much about the the process of the NCAA. I understand we we need a governing body and rules to be in place because without them things would be out of control. But I still cannot stand. Same thing with James Wiseman, even though he's won, at least for now. The idea that the NCAA comes in, rules a college kid ineligible, and says, prove your innocence. You're guilty until proven innocent in their eyes, and I I can't stand that. If you remember during the Ole Miss investigation, Dante Moncrief's brother... A college graduate that had two jobs had a, I think it was a Dodge Charger, if I remember correctly, and Dante took a picture in front of his brother's car. The NCAA came in and ruled Dante ineligible and forced them to prove that it was his brother's car, and his brother had to give financial statements and all this stuff to the NCAA to get his brother off. Guilty until proven innocent. I I don't like that process at all. It's the complete opposite of what's so good about this country in a way. I mean, that's kind of silly, but think about it. A principle, an American principle, is innocent until proven guilty. The NCAA literally does the opposite. Now Chase Young is suspended for at least this game against Maryland, and yeah, they're six touchdown favorites, and they have Rutgers next week, and there'll be seven or eight touchdown favorites in that game. And he'll probably be back when they play Penn State in three weeks. But still, this should be cut and dry. And if the loan has been paid back in full, he should not miss a single snap. Not one. And that should be a very quick thing to prove. And I imagine it's probably already been done. If it actually happened, it's probably already been done. And from the 601 says, how did he pay back the loan? How much was the loan, and where did he get the money for the loan? I mean, that's a good question. But, I mean, his family could have a little bit of money. Who's to say Chase Young's parents don't have jobs and can't give him some cash? I don't like the... And I'm not directing this at you in particular, because you didn't do this in this case, but I don't like the idea that when a college football player post a picture on social media of him driving a car, everybody immediately screams, oh, it was bought for him. A booster gave it to him as if the player's family couldn't afford to get him that car themselves. I don't like that practice. You didn't do that. I'm not saying that to you. That just reminded me of any time a college football player has a car that is not a piece of junk, people automatically assume that it was bought for by a booster and that there's no way his family could have purchased that for him. I don't like that practice. Kevin in Smithville says, why is it not okay for Chase Young, but Leo Lewis took 10000 from a family friend and it's okay? I mean, selective enforcement and, and all of that stuff. He also was involved in a NCAA case against Ole Miss and they gave him immunity and basically that's why it uh, 
it was okay for, for that to happen. And Quinn says, you're right, no due process, not with the NCAA. I, I, I don't like the practice. And especially because the, the people that are not given due process are college kids. I think back to when I was in college. A lot of you would probably think that I'm still an idiot, but I was really, <laughs> uh, I was not ready for life uh, when, I was, when I was 18 to 19. I had a lot of growing up to do when I was in college. And if I was 19 years old and I was playing ball and some guys in suits came down and started asking me a bunch of questions that I didn't have the answers to, and in these interrogation-style meetings, they were telling me that you're not going to play. You're not going to play because we know you did this. I don't know how you can handle it. I would not have handled that well at all. And Chase Young released a statement on his personal Twitter explaining his side of the story and uh, apologizing that to Ohio State fans that they have to go through this. It was a very mature statement for what it's worth. It came from a notes app too, so he, he's the one that wrote it. But the kids are the ones that have the hardest time with all of this, and they're the ones that are least equipped to handle it. I don't like what's happening here. Stick around. we got one more time with you at Sports Talk Mississippi. you want to be a part of the conversation, you can. 601-879-4395. We'll be right back in the Renaissance Bank studio. Did not plan to spend this entire hour talking about Memphis basketball, but here we are. Sports Talk Mississippi. I'm Michael Borky with you. Get a tweet from my guy Justin. He said, uh, this is why it could be bigger than just vacating wins for them. A bigger risk for Memphis by fighting this and playing him, even though the NCAA has ruled him ineligible. When they lose, because, guys, they're going to lose this. They'll get hammered for not sitting him when it was apparent he was not going to be eligible. He cites a tweet from Gary Parrish. It's a risky move, Gary Parrish says, because a source told him that according to the NCAA, an institution is required to sit any player that could be ineligible. And Memphis is going to the courts to make that not the case. So when they lose, and I'm telling you, that is going to happen. I mean, it's this is indefensible. They'll get hit even harder. We do get uh, a funny text here from the, the six six two, and you know it's actually it's actually kind of playing out this way. He says if Trump really wants to get reelected in twenty twenty, he should just banish the NCAA. Both left and right would love that. You are seeing that kind of thing. Uh, this whole name, image, and likeness conversation started with the state of California, uh, mostly Democrats, Democratic governor. But then all these other states started popping up and doing it. South Carolina, Florida, Pennsylvania, getting on board. People that are Republicans, that are Democrats, that are moderates, that are liberals, that are conservatives, all these political people are jumping in on this. Now it's coming, uh, coming to a federal level. Mitt Romney is championing that at the federal level and all these lawmakers from all these states are jumping in on it because they're all getting really nice press releases. I mean, people that are hard-leaning leftists cannot 
argue against Mitt Romney wanting to get rid of the NCAA and allow uh, exploited athletes, air quotes, to benefit off their name, image, and likeness. It's a, it's a complete PR win for anybody in politics to get on board with this. I'm, you'll see it. You will continue to see it. I'm surprised nobody in Mississippi has jumped on it yet, and maybe they will. I mean, we just had elections, so got to give some people some time to breathe. But it's a winning press release for anybody that wants to jump on this right now. And you may disagree, but largely the opinion of the NCAA is is quite negative. And for politicians, uh, a winning press release is always a, a good thing. So I know you're kind of joking, but not really, because it, that's uh, actually happening here. Jason says, you may be an idiot, but you're our idiot. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh Quinn says, wasn't me, sends me a picture of Will Wade with his hands up. Everybody could talk to the hands. That's uh, that's really good stuff. And Jason from Columbus says, maybe it's case to push up. The courts will take away the NCAA power. I mean, that's, in this case, this will be signed, sealed, delivered, I think, before we get any real change in that. I mean, this very well could be the last high-profile case before uh, the governing body of college athletics as we know it is completely rendered obsolete appreciate all of your texts today uh, really glad that uh, you've been with me and held on for this last hour you can still be a part of the show about a minute and a half left 601-879-4395 on the ceasefire text line i was going to do picks actually i've got time let's run through them real quick Brought to you by the Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge at the Golden Moon Casino, Pearl River Resort. We're there quite often. Always have a great time. Great place to watch a game. Put a little money down on them as well. Here are your picks for the weekend. Brought to you by the Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge. Vanderbilt will not cover the 26 points at Florida. Arkansas is starting a boosters kid at quarterback just to try to keep a coach's job. So take Western Kentucky plus the point and a half in Fayetteville. I think Ole Miss will cover the 29 at home against New Mexico State. I think Georgia will cover the 16-and-a-half at home against Missouri. I think I'm going to skip that one. I'll save it for the end. I think Appalachian State is going to cover the six at South Carolina. I think Tennessee is going to cover the one at Kentucky. And then finally, LSU is a six-point underdog as of this morning in Tuscaloosa. I go back and forth on this game a lot. I mean, it's two of the four best teams in, in all of college football, but uh, the reporting about Tua and his health and not being 100% is enough for me to think that LSU is going to be able to go in there, maybe not win the game, but my goodness, if you're going to give me six points at home with an offense that's that athletic, that is that dynamic, that is a quarterback that's playing that well, I don't care that they're on the road. That quarterback, Joe Brady, those playmakers, getting six points on the road with a unhealthy tool across the field in Alabama's worst defense in the Nick Saban era? I think this is an easy call. If you're giving me six points with that LSU offense, I'm taking six points. The Tigers go in there and at least cover, probably going to win the game as well. That's it for us, for Richard Cross and Brian Haydad, who was off today, and Brian Scott Rippey. I'm Michael Borky. Thank you so much for making our show a part of your day. And don't forget, Sports Sunday, hosted by me, and my guy Steven Gagliano, 8 to 10 on your local Super Talk station or at supertalk.fm slash listen. I'll see you then on Sunday from 8 to 10. Until then, have a great weekend. Enjoy the football, and we'll talk to you again soon. Good night.
Super Talk Mississippi media production.